for the first time in our history. Humans pose a threat to our kind. Their modern technology has given birth to weapons that could destroy us. Maintaining our secret has never been more imperative. In such perilous times, only the known is safe. Only the known is tolerable, and we know nothing of what this child will become. Can we live with such uncertainty? Welcome to part two of the Breaking Dawn episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for some PP, our patron pitch, the part of the show where we let all our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, lots of stuff going on. Uh, and first, a correction. Uh, on our Psycho episode, I said that there was no bonus episode on the patron feed uh, this month because the bonus episode was going to be the Patronis. Uh, I was wrong. I forgot that Halloween Ends <laughs> was part of our lives now. Uh, and so the bonus episode on the on the patron feed is Alex and I hashing it out uh, about Halloween Ends. As we record this, of course, we haven't seen it. We're recording this on October 12th. Odds are that you will like it and I won't. I haven't heard anything about it, just just based on our reactions to Halloween Kills. So that will make for an interesting conversation. Um, then there's also the other stuff that we have on our Patreon channel. We have the quick video reviews this month, picked by Jordan. Alex uh, has done one for The Art of Self-Defense. I am doing one on the movie Mass. Uh, all the special stuff is still there. The Roxena miniseries, the uh, Summer Break trilogy, it's all there. And then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. The spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we've been watching, uh, that we've been thinking about, listening to, reading in this case. Uh, hint, hint for what's to come on mine. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Uh, first of all, we recently lost a true great in the industry of pro wrestling, but also mixed martial arts as well. A gentleman by the name of Antonio Inoki passed away recently, and I'm not going to be able to eulogize or give like a audible obituary or do anything better than, you know, Dave Meltzer, some of the uh, great journalists and wrestling recently have Jim Cornette had a tremendous hour long, basically just verbal diary of his life. But Anoki was a guy that uh, I guess to as quickly as I can give a preview for yourself and our listeners. He was like bigger in Japan than Hulk Hogan is in America. And he was like, to the point of a legitimate sports star, a television star. He ran and successfully served several terms on basically what the Japanese equivalent of Congress is. Um, he was a very, very widely respected sports figure in that country. In 1976, he fought Muhammad Ali in a, a rather infamous fight. Uh, he's directly attributed as one of the founding fathers of mixed martial arts. And now, of course, what we know as the UFC and that entire industry and uh, just a fascinating uh, life unlike any other. You know, he 
he personally negotiated with Saddam Hussein the release of Japanese hostages during the the uh, Gulf War, like that type of shit. He was a, a a fascinating man who lived, like I said, a life unlike any other, and he was a fucking pro wrestler. And I think that speaks to uh, how differently that industry is and specifically was viewed in Japan at that time. And when he passed away, you know, he's not like he was a wrestling promoter in the end. And so he had some questionable ties and did some uh, questionable things in his life. But he's one of the only people you could point to that was still alive that you could say that pro wrestling and mixed martial arts would be radically different had he not existed. I I want more people to know about him just because of how fascinating his story is and more than just like. Oh, did you see his match he had with Vader? That type of thing. (laughs) So I'll be talking a little bit about Antonio Noki, and then I'll also be talking about a YouTube series that I recently discovered called Train Records. It's like a video podcast. Each episode's, you know, 20 to 30 minutes long, and it's about uh infamous albums and records that and that's something that i always have a a big interest in and these giant missteps by giant bands you know uh saying anger by metallica is one that comes to mind for a lot of people but um there's some really interesting episodes he has uh lauren hill unplugged in there and how disastrous that was for her career and her image and uh motley Crue's generation swine is another one i listened to when in 1997 they decided they were going to try to be like nirvana that type of thing very interesting series so i'll give the propers of where to find that where to watch and just kind of uh what i've taken away from it so far so i'm usually a, a one hitter on the after hours but i got a lot coming your way julio are you are you bringing in equally as girthy contribution to after hours i am because i can't let you i have to one-up you so if you bring two then i'll bring three (laughs) all right so first of all house of the dragon i i want to tell you about house of the dragon because i've just uh, it's this is the game of thrones prequel that's been going on for a couple months now Uh, the eighth episode just aired as as of this recording Watch it on Sunday as it aired. And it was a turning point because up till then, I wasn't sure how I felt about the show. And uh, episode eight finally made it to me, at least. I was like, all right, I'm in. And then there's two things that happened uh, recently, Alex. One is that uh, an Austin author contacted us. His name is Dale Bridges. And uh, he has a book coming out, uh, The Mean Reds coming out this month. So by the time that uh, you guys listen to this episode, it might be just like coming off the presses. But it's a, it's a fun book. It's a neo-noir. The protagonist is a movie reviewer that finds himself in the middle of this murder investigation. There's a lot of movie references because, you know, this is it's, it's written the first person and this guy lives and breathes movies. And so his, his internal dialogue is very funny. And uh, it fits with this with the tone and the interest of this podcast, which is, I think, why Dale contacted us about it to begin with. But uh, full disclosure, he sent me a free copy. <laughs> so I started reading it and I was like, sure, I'll mention it on the podcast. Uh, hopefully I like it and it, I do like it. So I'll be telling you about that uh, a little more, uh, the mean reds. And then you wouldn't know this name, Alex, but just like you throw names of uh, wrestlers that I don't know at me. Mm-hmm. I'll throw a name of a comic book writer you probably don't know. Uh, J.M. Demates, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. One of my favorite comic book writers, uh, definitely among my 
top two, top three, maybe uh, Spider-Man writers. Um, I saw that he had a Kickstarter. He he posted, he tweeted that he had a, a Kickstarter going on for a new bunch of comics that he's doing with a small publisher. And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to support this. So it looks cool. I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, maybe convince some of our listeners to to check it out and maybe support it as well. Because uh, the idea is that if this is a successful project, there's going to be more of of these comics coming out. And I'm, I'm all for more Demetate's uh, content out there in the world. And I also kind of want to talk to you about Kickstarter as a as a thing that's part of our lives now. I don't know how much experience you have with crowdfunding uh ventures but uh i've been part of a few and i i think it's like uh there's a lot to talk about (laughs) when it comes to it so if you like all of this or any of these things that uh we mentioned you can join our patreon channel at uh, patreon.com slash concern prime just like these four people four alex is the most shout outs that we've had i think ever i get the feeling that this is the twilight effect you know because we have two pieces of Twilight content that are available only to patrons. So I don't know, but you guys tell us, uh, you new patrons, Melissa, Brittany, Mike from uh, Multiverse of Badness. Okay, so maybe not him. <laughs> and uh, Colstone, Steve Austin. Okay, maybe not him either. He might be there for the for the rock scene I'm in the series. I don't know. But anyway, all four of you guys, uh, you just joined the Contrarian Supplements. Thank you. Anybody else that wants to uh, wants to be like these cool people, patreon.com slash Prime. Check out our tiers. See which one looks the most enticing to you and uh, join the family. They stepped up to the plate, Julio, and they fucking hit it out of the park. Uh, they, they realized they needed it, be it our QVRs on Eclipse or recording notes so you can see my chicken scratch and just notes that it make no sense that i make all the time uh they make sense to me god damn it and eventually if you read enough of them patrons will probably make sense to you so uh thank you so much to our four new patrons i uh, hope you all enjoy what you find there uh, for all y'all listening who haven't done so yet you can do so for one dollar three dollar five dollars or ten dollars head on over to our patron page read over what the respective tiers get you uh drop us a buck hang around for a month see what it is you like we love our new and existing patrons oh so dearly and as i like to say we're always taking applications so with that out of the way let's land this plane let's do from the beginning it was nessie who wanted me there nessie you nicknamed my daughter after the Ness monster julio question did you watch both of these movies like back to back did you watch them both before recording today or did you watch them like over several days uh I don't have the endurance that you do, Alex. I am a little older. Therefore, I actually had to split this. I watched Breaking Dawn Part 1 one day, and then Breaking Dawn Part 2 another day. The way that the Lord intended. I think that you need to let that cliffhanger marinate. <laughs> Just sit with you for a little bit before you you jump into the next one. Well, I was going to say, and I don't think either of these movies are good, but what I was going to say was I watched them both today mm-hmm. in preparation for this. Like literally like finish one, pop the disc out, pop the next one in. And we'll get into issues. But a compliment I wanted to pay to it was that it didn't feel taxing. And that's, you know, we're talking four hours of Twilight. And so I kind of wanted to start off with a compliment there. And I think that's like. Uh, I don't know if emblematic's the right word, but like 
might be a parable for the franchise in general. I don't think these are good movies, but it never felt taxing. Yeah. So let's let's get into it here. Well, I'll say uh, in, the, in all fairness, just to be completely transparent, I probably could have watched part two right after. Uh, but Kelly was watching with me and she wanted to watch part two with me as well. And, um, mm. and she needed to go to bed. <laughs> so we're like, okay, fine. <laughs> we'll make it a two parter as originally released. Uh, but I get what you mean. Well, cause we talk about all the time. Yeah. I was just like, we talk about a lot, the idea of like, or just the personal experiences we have of it taking like multiple sittings to get through a movie or, you know, having to space shit out and stuff like that. And like, what was it? The, the reunion, as we mentioned, I think that was one where we both, or at least me, it took me like three hours to watch an hour and a half movie. Cause I kept having to take breaks from it. And this, I just pew, right through both of them. So to kind of set the stage, I wanted to start with that sentiment. Um, now what quotes do you have for us for the second half here? And we're going to start with Jeff Bayer from The Scorecard Review, who says, I rolled my eyes, laughed at, and laughed with this film. I was entertained. It's a sloppy, enjoyable mess, and the most fun I had watching a Twilight movie. That's a fresh quote. For which one? Is that one or two? Two. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that we, just based on what we just said, I think we can both relate to this, to Mr. Bayer's sentiments here. Now, this one's rotten, but it's pretty heartfelt. Mark Ellis from Schmoes No says, From the bottom of my heart, thank you. And thank you to Bella, Edward, and Jacob for letting us laugh, cry, debate, and pick sides while you three bastards stare at each other. I I joked about it in Gazer's Corner, Alex. Am I right in sensing that uh, you appreciate Taylor Lautner a little better after these five movies? Uh, no. Where'd you get that idea? Uh, okay, maybe the Jacob I, character. <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. I, I started to, but he's such a fucking, like, I don't get at all. The, he's emasculated heavily in these last two. And to be fair, that's the audience for these movies would eat that shit up. But for me watching this, I'm like, dude, she fucking told you no. She rejected you. And you're still like, you're running errands for her and her husband now. Like, What, what is wrong with you? I don't know if that's a toxic point of view, but like from my experience, like you just got to leave well enough alone sometimes. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Yeah. But in the end, you know, it's going to take another 18 years, but he'll get a girlfriend out of it. <laughs> All right. More Jacob talk in our future. Don't worry. Uh, next, Tim Martin from the Mercury, Australia says the Twilight Saga has finally ended, not with a triumphant roar but with the self-satisfied mumble of an inconsiderate lover rolling over and breaking wind as they fall asleep. That's a rotten one. <laughs> I would think so. Uh, really? I, You know, for all the problems that I think the, the two movies have, and all five movies, I think that this one was probably the closest you could come to, like, ending with a bang. Oh, yeah. I don't get the inconsiderate lover rolling over. Uh, That's weird. And then finally, a fresh one. William Bibiani from Crave Online says, The ultimate catharsis, giving the series' detractors exactly what they've wanted to see all these many years, and telling the story that Twihards wanted to see too. Twihards? Uh, I forgot about that. (laughs) My God. Uh, I guess this this is the moment where we shout out 
someone who I'm assuming is at White Hart, which is uh, our social media guru, Zoe Perez, who uh, is also a patron and uh, is uh, the person that made us do this. You know, I don't call it a demand with Zoe because it, it's like a favor because she does so much <laughs> for us. But she is a few years younger than us. So I'm trying to think of like, she probably would have been right at the targeted age demo when this came out. So God bless her. And Zoe, yeah, I, I'm curious, like you come across these people that are huge fans of this franchise and it's, it becomes a thing of like, do you think they're really good movies or is it just like you have this strong attachment to it and you, it's what I used to, I, I like to use that phrase, junk food TV or like a, a junk food movies, that type of thing. So Zoe, let us know. You really digging this shit or what's up? <laughs> is this your Star Wars, Zoe? God, I could, <laughs> I don't know what Zoe thinks about Star Wars, but I could hear her saying something like smart ass of like, oh no, it's better than Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it's, um, it's almost hard to imagine. And it's ingrained in pop culture, Twilight that is. And uh, no matter what, Kristen Stewart and Connie, Robert Pattinson do and have done. People will always, there will be that easy go-to punchline of them being in Twilight. But I don't think it's respected enough, really, how big of a momentary impact this franchise had on at least the United States. I don't know what its global success was like. Had to be pretty big with those box office returns, but it's like, we now live in a time where like franchises just are ever present and it's content and it's branding everywhere. And, you know, people tend to reflect upon the franchises of the two thousands and, you know, into the 2010s a little bit differently, be it your saws or, you know, more specifically something like the matrix where obviously made a big impact, but then kind of fizzled out these twilight movies, man were never anything. And it drove people fucking insane, including me at the time, just cause I was younger and a bit more immature. <laughs> if you can imagine me being even more immature than I am now, just the idea that these movies that, are not good and not assembled of the parts you expect big movies to be to make this much money. Cause even things like star Wars or I mean, Lord of the Rings was embraced as like a great franchise, that type of thing. It's twilight had such a big fucking impact for a moment in time. And I'm not sure people understand or respect that enough because it ended and that's not something people are like used to now. And the time has passed also. I don't think Kristen Stewart or Robert Pattinson are going to go back and do anything for this. But you can imagine how many spinoff Taylor opportunities. Well, I I didn't list him for a reason. He, he's waiting <laughs> for the bat phone to ring, man. He's got the abs oiled up and he's just waiting to hear the, the phone ring. But it's um, it's not often that this happens. Because Star Wars is 50 years old, you know, and we're still kicking with it. So I kind of wanted to start with that to be like, these movies were like a really big fucking deal. And um, 
it will live in this interesting place because it just kind of seems like they just did it and they're kind of done with it. Kind of like Harry Potter. Uh, is, have there been any of the Harry Potter spinoffs? I'm, I'm, I don't know too much about that. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. because they did. Uh, so there's the seven books and the, the there's an eighth book that's actually, well, there's a play that takes place. I, I'm telling you this like second hand, third hand even. <laughs> there's a play that takes place after the movies. And and then they they took I guess the script of the play and published it as a book, and then there's the Fantastic Beast movies with your uh, with Alex Madden's favorite Eddie Redmayne. He's the main character there, and those are kind of like prequels that take place in the same world. And oh, okay. I remember. I thought I remembered hearing that. So those are like canon or the same universe as Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, and it's like you know, there's it's still alive in a way that the the twilight franchise isn't and i'm actually as you were talking i was thinking well how much of it is just uh stephanie myers's call you know like is she is she the one that holds the rights just like you know like star wars kept on living because george lucas wanted it to and maybe twilight stopped with breaking dawn because stephanie myers said well that's it although i remember hearing uh, Twihards, let us know. <laughs> so I remember hearing that at some point she was talking about writing one more book that was that would retell the story, but from Edward's point of view. God, I, I hate that I know this. I don't hate that I know this. I hate that I only know it halfway. <laughs> I wish I could tell you like with more authority, but I want to say that it's, it was called, or it was supposed to be called Midnight Sun, or Midnight Sun, maybe. I don't know, but... Uh, I guess it was like it was supposed to happen and they didn't happen and uh and then that's it you know I I think that if it had been up to the studios we would have kept having twilight sequels and spin-offs and prequels oh, yeah. and whatever but there was somebody who said no and I think that was the person that held <laughs> the rights <laughs> Stephanie Myers said I'm good I made enough money I can retire <laughs> I guess that's the point. Yeah, I guess they didn't get in, get their grips in all the way on it. Uh, and that's a novel concept now. Someone that knows when to say like, mm, nah, we're good. What are we going to do with more money? Let's, what are we going to do with more more fans? That type of thing. You show me again? I've <laughs> got a lot of time. Forever. And it is kind of fun because they're similar to the Lord of the Rings movies in the sense of it's you're with the same people the entire time. I mean, they'd replace Victoria with Bryce Dallas Howard, but yeah, shit happens. Uh, but that's what makes that's what made this feel like a miniseries because everyone's the, everyone's the same and everyone looks the fucking same. And uh, it has such a unique feel and presence about it. I'm trying to say all the positive things I can because I found these two movies to be just bad. <laughs> yes. I, I agree. I, I think that there is, I mean, so we were held hostage. <laughs> I did not expect to leave this with my uh, with a temperament and a sense of these movies have a charm that I did not give them credit for um, because they do. They are exactly what their fan base wants, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't speak for their fan base, but 
if you're into this shit, this is fucking crack. This is like guacamole <laughs> freshly made. Like this is just you just want more of it, more, 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 because it they know their audience and they play to their audience. And they don't give a shit about anyone outside of their audience because their audience is going to gross them nearly a billion dollars for all of these. And so that is, I respect that so much. As someone who has niche interests that seem intent on insulting their fan base or like doing everything they can to not play to their fan base, Mm -hmm. specifically wrestling and a lot of times the horror genre, it's so refreshing to see something like this that specifically plays directly to their mainline fan base. Um, I am not their core audience and I also like good movies. So that kind of hampers me a lot in watching this, <laughs> but it's, it's, this is the, what I, this experiment in a way that we've been part of, right? It's like, what happens when you take two people that are not the audience for a specific type of movie and, you make them watch the movie anyway. Not just a movie, but a series of movies. And it's like, how long does it take before they either completely resent the the movies or kind of just embrace the the idea behind them, even if they don't think that they're good movies? You know what I mean? Like, it, I, I just think, as I was watching Breaking Dawn, both parts, really, uh, there were times where I would catch myself really... Like, I agree, they're not good movies, but I was enjoying just spending time with the characters, which wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't sat through five movies with them. And, I mean, that's not the way that the world works, right? Usually you watch one, and if that didn't work for you, you're not coming back for the second one. (laughs) But this is, I guess, the equivalent of when people tell you, okay, well... You got to watch, there's a TV show, and you got to watch the first season before you get to the second season where things get really good. And this is like, look, I know Twilight's not your thing, but if you sit through all five of them, you're going to feel something by the time you get to the end. (laughs) Even if you, you know, objectively, you don't think that they're good. And I don't know, man, I I was watching the, the wedding happening. And I was having a good time. It was. It, it felt like I could have just removed myself and forgotten that it was Twilight. I would have thought that it was just like a fun wedding sequence in a better movie. And the same thing with just some of the moments at the ending. You know, it's like these things, even though they shouldn't, they're working on me. And I was, you know, we every now and then we'll make the joke here uh, on the show about uh, a filmmaker or a movie just beating us down to the point where we're just we just submit and we're like, all right. <laughs> you know, we, I don't. I didn't feel that way. I don't feel that Twilight beat me into submission. And then I ended up saying, like, all right, it's not so bad. Like, I feel that I was, I was having like two tracks in my mind the entire time, like thinking this is not good, but also thinking like, I'm enjoying this. And not in like in a guilty pleasure kind of way or in a way where I was like mocking it, but just as in, uh, you know, it's like that duality of like, it can be a bad movie and yet you can still somehow care about some of the characters. So mm-hmm. I was not kidding. Like, I care for Charlie. Like, I care about Billy Burke. My main frustration <laughs> with the way the, the franchise ends is that we're never given a solid answer about how they're planning to handle the fact that Bell is a vampire and doesn't age and Charlie ages. 
and you know it's like it's left up in the air it's like oh he knows that something's weird but he's just he's not asking any questions and i wanted i wanted a little bit more closure with that character that that is a weird feeling to have in a movie that you're looking down on (laughs) it's like this is not a good movie but i care for charlie and when uh Edward at the, be- in the beginning of the wedding, or you know, the beginning of Breaking Dawn Part One, we're doing the wedding, and then Edward takes Bella outside for a surprise, and Jacob shows up and he's all dressed up. I could not believe that I was actually like happy to see Jacob. I was like, look at him, <laughs> he's he's being he took the high road. He showed up to to this girl's wedding and he's trying to play nice. You know, I mean, it only takes a few minutes and then he becomes an asshole again. But for that moment, I was like, this moment. This little bit of storytelling shouldn't work on me because I don't care, but it still worked. And I think that it has to do with uh, uh, the charisma that some of the actors have. I think that Bill Condon is a good director, and I think he knows how to stage some sequences really well. And uh, and part of it, I think, is just like, uh, you know, you spend five movies with these characters. Subconsciously, you just grow attached to them. It's like being on a long road trip. You know, and maybe at first you don't care for the people that are with you or some of them, but then as you go through all these weird experiences, you you develop some feelings. And so it, I don't know. I, I'm kind of surprised, Alex, that you uh, uh, that you said that you still don't care for Taylor Lautner. Like I don't think he's a good actor, but I thought that he was in these last two movies. He kind of did what he needed to do. Am I am I wrong, or would you say that he was still a dud? Are we talking about as an actor or as a character? Well, at this point, it's both, right? Like, it's did you were you watching the character and being like, okay, well, they needed a better actor for this, or were you thinking like I was? It was like, all right, they finally figured out what they can do with Taylor Lautner playing this character. Uh, yeah, but again, I I thought it was really dumb how he just conceded and. Again, this is not like for me. So the idea that this dude like he just gives up on the woman he loves, but still is going to hang around her all the time. And then he's going to end up being romantically linked with her newborn baby and like be her boyfriend for eternity. And it's not supposed to be something weird or like... Uh, off kilter her protector alex it clearly is like they're gonna be like boyfriend girlfriend in the end and my heart look i set one of us straight i i get it by the way and i appreciate that the story tells it that he did it like a uh for a noble reason of protecting her and the cullens i think that was cool but he's not great um we know that and the way the character was written here, it really just seemed like he, he, he was just one step away from carrying Edward's bags and, you know, <laughs> picking up his dry cleaning. So should I start calling you dad? No. <laughs> Maybe that makes all the difference. It, it doesn't bother me that they go in that direction with his character. Because I just found him so fucking annoying, uh, even all the way up to Eclipse. Uh, Maybe I misread your your feelings on Eclipse when I watched your video. Um, I don't think you did because I think 
uh, what we talked about, my biggest problem with New Moon is it's just all Jacob and all Taylor Lautner, and you cannot make that kid the centerpiece of something mm-hmm. uh, when he's surrounded by, at this point, it wasn't even titans of the industry. It was just people that were better than him. And again, I wish that dude all the best. It's just, you know, um, his acting wasn't very good, but it didn't need to be, but you're asking me my opinion on these. Mm-hmm. It's just like this... Like these movies, I can't take them seriously because 70% of the shit in these movies aren't real. It's just constant in front of green screens. Constant. The fucking baby is CG. Like it's. Yep. But. Baffling. <laughs> but the biggest difference, I say that same shit about the, your movies, but the biggest difference is I have such an easier time watching this. Because no one is telling me this is good. No one is telling me that it should be nominated for an Academy Award. No one is telling me that these existing are like good for movies and they're good for, you know, the state of everything. They just exist in their own universe. And I find that so much easier to watch than like the modern state of things. I don't know really what that says or what the message is in that, but it's just like these are movies made for a specific audience with a specific story that doesn't really care about me, and that's it. And it just so happens that their fan base is fucking colossal and makes them a lot of money, (laughs) but at no point does someone like sit me down like, "Uh, you know, no, this is good shit, man. You need to get on board with this because this is, you know, this is the direction we're going is the Twilight. Uh but back to your original point, like because I don't necessarily take any of these movies seriously, when you ask my opinion on Taylor Lautner, I'll say I don't think he's a good actor. But when it comes to this, I'm just judging it from like the character perspective because uh, I don't really find the Jacob character interesting. And that's why New Moon, I was down on it because it was dominated by the Jacob storyline. When it comes to this, I feel Jacob kind of betrays himself and that bums me out. It's like, look at you caring. <laughs> Well, I'm telling you, I'm we're in this uh, petri, uh, not petri dish. What are we talking about? We're in this like, um, we're in this cell together, and we're watching these movies, and we're just stuck here. We're not going anywhere. So I got to find what what I can get invested we're, in. We're and that joke. We're the sitcom joke of like, you know, they'll have the character that starts watching a soap opera, and they're just yeah, pretty pedantic yeah. about it. And then you go to commercials, you come back, and the character's really invested in crying and talking to the screen. <laughs> yeah. It's um, and it's just kind of weird because, like the part of the intrigue was kind of just the the tension between the two dudes vying for the affection. You know, the Kristen Stewart on a pole match that they were having, <laughs> like war movies, comic book movies, and when I say war movies, I mean the really ridiculous, over the top ones. Um, you know, the way you get someone like me is they align in the last act of the last movie to vanquish the, the evil foe. Uh, so the fact that I had three and a half hours of them just working together, you know, everything's cool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then going into it. So I kind of grew tired of that, but uh, just to like go back to your, to wrap up your original question, I think Taylor Lautner as much as he could kind of matured through these because his line delivery became a bit smoother and 
his kind of mannerisms and his eye bo- uh, popping his eyebrows and you know his m- just his maneuvering seemed a little bit more smooth i can comfortably say by the end of uh, by breaking dawn, he seemed more comfortable in his skin on screen than he did in the first Twilight. Um, I agree, and I think that uh, here's the difference. And this is like I, I totally get what you're saying. This is why I just realized I am more okay with Jacob in the last two movies, and that's because uh, the love triangle was always an obstacle for me because I just don't buy him as. I mean, you know, I asked you when we're doing New Moon, I was like, who the hell is Team Jacob? Like, I don't buy him as as competition. And it's not that Edward is a prize, but Jacob was just so uninteresting and whiny and just like, there's nothing to him beyond his abs. And so when the movie, movies keep trying to tell me, no, 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 this is something that's happening. This girl has to choose between these two guys. I was like, how? How is that? Like, it doesn't make sense. So when that stops being an issue and breaking, because you know, she gets married to Edward in, at the beginning of Breaking Dawn. That's it. Like, <laughs> you know, in the world of this movie, like the question is settled. So uh, we don't have to worry about it anymore. So Jacob's new role becomes like, well, now I have to be an ally and I have to kind of grumble and be reluctant and then eventually find my place in this new dynamic. And that I think plays more to Taylor Lautner's strengths as a performer than him being part of a love triangle because he's just not as charismatic as uh as Pattinson and and so when you put him in direct competition with Pattinson there's no I don't see any tension I just see contrivance you know (laughs) just I can't get into it but once it's just about them kind of like having to get along and learning to get along I can I, it goes a little more smoothly for me as far as say Lawner's performance. So I think that that's the, that's the difference. I I agree. He's the the weakest out of everybody in the cast here, but I I found him a lot more tolerable. And I was so done with him uh, by the time the eclipse was over. I was like, I'm so tired of Jacob. <laughs> and uh, so I was I was happy that they they found something else to do with him in the in, the, in these two movies. Dear ones, there is no danger here. We will not fight today. Michael Sheen, tremendous. I, you know, it's kind of metal when people are getting decapitated, but you know immediately what I'm going to say, that nothing happening in those sequences was real, and I was just like, eh. And then, like, (laughs) on top of it and none of it was real i was like when i was watching that you know looking past the cg issues i was just like holy shit they're killing everyone and then it like (laughs) it didn't happen i was like oh that's kind of a cop out because you know we always talk about how much we admire when someone actually commits to an ending that that ballsy but yes but it would have been so weird if yeah if it was real you know, it's like not not in keeping with the tone of the movie. I, don't think. I was about to say n- nothing in the previous four and a half movies would have prepared you for that kind of dramatic ending. So I, I agree and I can see where you're coming from. Um, Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, by the end, the their chemistry was just like, yeah, I completely believe that these two ended up dating like they were they were that convincing on screen um, or not convincing. What am I trying to say? They just it was it was palpable and that's probably what made it so fucking like uh, 
not necessarily in the completely sexual sense, but just arousing as a viewer to watch and see because you can believe that these two are like in love and, you know, Mm -hmm. are ready, ready to break the bed, that type of thing. And um, (laughs) did you uh, so did you feel like uh, uh, Kristen Stewart rebounded here in Breaking Dawn? Because you on on your Eclipse uh, review, you mentioned that it felt like she was a little disinterested in that movie. Yes, I do. Um, I think she looked almost like bordering on comedic in that like ghoul makeup to make her look sick. But the, Mm -hmm. the scene where she's talking to her dad and like she thinks she's saying like goodbye to him forever. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, you know, eventually we learn that's not the case, but she thinks she is. I think that's really good. And yeah, maybe it was just like what else she was working on at the time. Uh, Like I mentioned in the, QVR, I think it was the runaways she was doing. Maybe her mind was just kind of elsewhere, but she seemed kind of disinterested and not in the intentional Bella sense. But here, especially in part two, she was just like fierce. And, and, you know, it was that one. I put the part two down there with the new moon. I was just like, let's let's fucking go. Like (laughs) the nerve of your final entry in a franchise being over an hour of exposition is just like, go (laughs) fuck yourself, dude. So did you not care for the, the vampire tour? That would have been fine if it was the first hour of part one and then mm-hmm. part two was just 90 minutes of fucking just action. There was, a, I mentioned earlier, another famous franchise that did something similar and people fucking hated it. The Matrix, you know, Matrix Reloaded, it ends and you're like, oh shit, the third one's just going to be nothing but fucking chaos and action. And then it's just <laughs> two hours of exposition and then like this anime style ending. And that's kind of where I was here. I was just like, all right. Like the way the post credit scene worked, I was like, oh man, we're going to open in on the Voltori just fucking swarming and attacking them. And it was just like, okay, now we're meeting new people. <laughs> you would, the, They had four movies before this to do this. They could have introduced this to all these characters beforehand. It could be the way the book, well, the book's written with the, that's all one book, obviously, because it's not broken right. into two parts, but um, that's just a weird pacing thing. But again, the people watching it, it would be like an Avengers movie for you and your simpletons that uh, <laughs> they save like all of the secondary characters for the climax movie <laughs> so that you can watch it. And you can nudge your friends and be like, hey, it's, it's uh, Ant-Man right there. Uh, and that's kind of what I felt this was, was they saved all these characters to be there for the final battle for the last movie, more for the audience, uh, the core audience than anybody else. But for me watching it, I was like, dude, you, you've had eight hours up until this point to talk about these blonde fucks. Like, wh- what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> um- we talked about it in Contrarian's Corner. Uh, the probably the the thing I was not expecting uh, was the. I, I mean, I guess what is it like thirty minutes, thirty forty minutes that part one devotes to the question of what to do with Bella's baby, with Bella's pregnancy. Um, weird. Uh, I'm trying to judge it objectively, you know, like. I yeah I've had this discussion with I guess what you would label pro-life people and 
when it comes down to it, it's just like, okay, well, our fundamental difference is like, like our old boss, you know, he, he would always say like, so you don't believe that uh, a baby's life is worth more than the mom's? And I'll be like, that's right. <laughs> and that is just like, you know, I, I think that that was like, a, there's no like me convincing him or him convincing me. We're like, all right, this is the fundamental difference. And so on on one hand, like I was uh, kind of impressed that the story went there, that the movie went there, that they had the Collins have a debate about what was more important, like Bella's life or the life of the creature that she was carrying. And uh, I mean, it's not like the argument <laughs> had like a lot of subtlety to it. And the, it could have been much better written, but that the story went there. I mean, I guess, you know, I just have to remove myself from the fact that I just don't agree with the position that the movie was taking and just try to see it as, as a story. I'm like, did it make sense for the twilight franchise to go here to, to go into this really thorny issue? And then like, as far as execution, like, you know, did they pull it off? It, I, I don't know. How how do you feel about the whole thing? Like, did it make you uncomfortable? Did it make you roll your eyes? Did it just... Uh, let me read what I have here in front mm-hmm. of me. The film also drew both criticism and praise for having what was seen as a pro-life theme. Natalie Wilson, writing for the Miss Magazine blog, described what she saw as the book's latent anti-abortion message as problematic from a feminist perspective and found this element heightened, not diminished in the film, citing scenes in which Rosalie scolds Alice for using the word fetus. Richard Lawson of the Atlantic said Bella's pregnancy serves as the narrative dais from which Meyer and in complicity Condon and the screenwriter Melissa Rosenberg deliver a startlingly direct and uncovered anti-abortion sermon adding it seems there was no escaping the firmly anti-choice themes of this leg of the story, and so we must sit and grumble while sickly Bella is scored by plaintive strings as she chooses the one true moral path. (laughs) Neil Morris of Independent Weekly said that the film takes up a radically pro-life mantle when Bella refuses to abort her baby even though her life may depend on it. Sandy Angulo Chen of Movie Phone describes the, quote, bulk of the film as one long pro-life debate in which Bella says it's her body, her choice, terms usually used in the pro-choice movement. But her decision is pro-life to the extreme because the baby can and will kill her. In contrast, John Molderig of the Catholic News Service Praise the strongly pro-life message being conveyed via Bella's <laughs> unusual plight, saying it presents a welcome and counterpoint to all too frequent motif in popular entertainment, whereby pregnancy is presented as a form of disease or an almost unbearable curse. God. Are you fucking kidding me? But that's exactly what this movie does. <laughs> like the pregnancy, this it's it's a thing out of a horror. Uh, movie. It's a literal disease. <laughs> it's it's. <laughs> An unbearable curse. Uh, In an interview with Screen Rant, screenwriter Rosenberg addressed the perception of an anti-abortion message in the film, stating, If I could not find my way into it that didn't violate my beliefs, 
because I am extremely pro-choice, very outspoken about it, and very much a feminist, I would not have written the movie. They could have offered me the bank, and I still wouldn't have. In order to embrace it, I had to find a way to deal with it. I also had no interest in violating Stephanie's belief system or anyone on the other side. All right. Mm. I wonder if that's why I am kind of conflicted about it, and it's because maybe you can feel... You know, I think that the conflict between Rosenberg's beliefs and Myers' beliefs translates into a like an interesting argument that goes nowhere. Maybe, yeah. You know, like I, I feel like I guess I don't have a problem with the movie deciding that they want to make Bella pro-life. Like I was bummed when. Rosalie turned out to be pro-life just because I liked her the best out of all the Collins. And then I was like, oh, really? You're going to be like that person? This is none of your business, dog. Rose. I guess it's it's just like, it's a really heavy moment. And I think it leads to some, again, it's not like they're particularly well-written, but the, the, the arguments that, you know, you quoted in Contrarian's Corner, like when Edward is just like getting mad at her and she's getting mad at him back. And I was like, fuck, this is, you know, the most substance these characters have had in four movies. So that's that's good. Like, I'd rather have them argue about this than argue about Jacob. But then it's kind of like, I, I don't know, it feels like the, like the way it's resolved is like supernatural. You yeah. Know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. And it's trying to do this thing where it like, you can't make a pro-life argument and then your pro-life character lives through a pregnancy that would have killed her by becoming immortal because that's not <laughs> how it works yeah. IRL. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's really the way. <laughs> it's like you bring up this and there's like some parallels that I'm drawing in my head with the real world. And then the climax of that movie is just completely removed from anything that would happen in in real life you know like i can't find parallels to edward biting her all over her body <laughs> no exactly you know what god it's it's so it's so awful because we live in texas thinking about this but it's just like these women that could die from it and do die we don't have this fucking serum we can shoot into and be like hey back to normal and it's so doing that is it probably flowed better in the book uh, that Stephanie Myers wrote. It probably like the lines of dialogue and like the tone shift in that probably wasn't as startling or jarring as it is in this. Cause like you said, Rosalie just interjecting and it's like, what are we doing? Like, what, what is this argument about? So that does derail the tone somewhat of the first one. And then it's, it's never revisited. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's never like asked of her if like she regrets having to switch to be a vampire because all this fucking strife or if like uh, having this kid caused an unnecessary like rift in the family. <laughs> it, it's never like posed as anything but an alternative. And, you know, which is fine. That's that's the movie. That's the story it wants to tell. It's just. Well, you know, when I was wondering, uh, for five movies, I've been wondering, well, I guess for four movies, I was wondering, okay, how do you get us to accept that Bella becoming a vampire is a good thing? Because I felt that everybody that made arguments 
against her becoming a vampire were making pretty good points. And uh, that's that's just another cheat because then it becomes like, well, she needs to become a vampire right now because otherwise she dies. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, then that's it. We're no longer going to discuss it because it's just, it's what has to happen. You know, even when Edward said, okay, I'll turn you after we get married or whatever, I was thinking, okay, but they're still going to have to have a conversation about you know, are we really doing this? And then the movie avoided having that conversation or dealing with it because it's like, well, fuck it. It has to happen no matter what, if she's going to live. And I, I guess I was expecting too much by expecting somebody in the cast to really make a point that convinced me as the audience that Bella had to turn into a vampire. Instead, what they did is they put her in a situation where, well, she had to because otherwise she would die. Instead of, you know, making an intellectual argument for it. So that was, I mean, that, but that's fine. That's like, that's the type of movie that this is. Yeah. Agreed. And um, both of these are very comfortable with taking their time with what they want to express. And by the end of it, it's just kind of like, all right, well, we kind of started where we ended up. They have a kid now. And Jacob's kind of on cool terms with them. Um, I, you know, we, we have the level of interest in it and take away the level of enjoyment that we can from these. But again, you know, neither of these blew my socks off. Like it, when I was thinking about it, the retrospective or whatever you want to call it, the first one is still the most entertaining to me. I, I think there's so much... Um, to kind of marvel at in that just from the idea of the story and you know by the end it, it the first one you kind of have this sense of mysticism and whim, whimsy and then by the end it's like it's so ridiculously fantastical with no kind of sense of mystery anymore and just accepting that some of these characters are just dumb in it but again you know I don't really think their audience are asking those questions, but that for me is why when I was thinking about it, the first one is the one I enjoy the most because there you leave it with all these questions. Mm-hmm. All the potential you, is there. Exactly. All these like directions and potential you can go. And when it's over, it's like, I still have a lot of questions, but they don't seem interested in answering any of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so much, as you were talking, like, I were like, you know what? You look back at that first movie and it's so much smaller and that's for the better. I like I appreciate how they expanded the world, but if I have to choose, like I liked it better when it was just about this small town and this little family of vampires and this girl that was in love with a vampire and wanted to become a vampire and the vampire doesn't want to turn into a vampire. And that's it. You know, there's no like Volturi and there's not and you know, I can appreciate those elements on their own, but in the end, I think that it was stronger when it was just more self-contained and it wasn't so epic, like it becomes, you know towards the end uh and also i was thinking that i don't know maybe you you felt it differently but i i guess edward's big moment is when he tells bella that he's always underestimated her you know because i guess uh, the entire series like he's always uh, i guess either making decisions for her or <laughs> or manipulating her into acting the way that he wants. And then here in, in Breaking Dawn Part 2, he finally tells her, like, you know what? Hey, Bella. I've had a bad habit of underestimating you. I 
every obstacle you faced, I think you couldn't overcome it. And you just did. You were the reason I have something to fight for. My family. And I was thinking, that's a pretty cool arrival point for his character. Yeah. It's kind of a shame that there's the, the journey there doesn't really carry through the four movies that preceded it because uh, like him and Jacob mostly come across as assholes whenever they, they related to Bella. So it's just not, I don't know. I just need something stronger, but I like that there was that intent. On the other hand, I don't feel like Bella learned anything. <laughs> She's just like, I wanted to become a vampire. I became a vampire. Yeah. I want to have this baby. I have this baby. I want to <laughs> yeah, be immortal. I'm immortal. Uh, I want to have my cake and eat it too with these two dudes. Done. <laughs> one is my my husband and one is my babysitter. I'm set for life. I ain't got to do shit. <laughs> no. All right, Julio. Uh, Breaking Dawn part one and part two. Do your grades differ too greatly for them? Yes. I mean, I don't know about greatly, but they're not the same. I'm going to say... Two stars for part one. I I like the wedding. I have this weird fascination with the, <laughs> the abortion segment. And uh, there's some comedy that works throughout the movie. Um, part two, we got to get it a little higher because I think that that final battle is... I just I really like what they did with it. The, the fake out, I appreciate it. Probably... Two and a half for this one for uh, for part two. I almost want to give it three, you know, because I I think that there's some merit to the fact that after five movies, like I was not hating it. Like I said earlier, you know, it could have gone two ways, <laughs> and it went the the good way, the positive way, which was like I was actually kind of happy with how it all turned out for all these characters, and I didn't resent the the movies that came before. So. Um, Gonna go with two and a half with the potential for it to be. I could be talked into three stars <laughs> if, if a Twihard came and told me, reminded me of all the good stuff. Uh, so I, on my letterbox reviews, gave part one two stars and part two one and a half stars. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was just kind of bored with everything going on. But that, you know what? I, that's the problem with watching them back to back. That is four hours of Twilight, Alex. <laughs> That's a good call. But I, I really, I don't think that any any point in time I would have been interested in that whole hour of like world building and team building in the final installment of a movie. Just fucking give it to me, man. Um, but it's so Rami I, Malik and Lee Pace. We didn't. We, Joe Anderson. We didn't talk enough about Rami Malik, but that that was. I was like, hey, it's that fucker. Uh, <laughs> I think there's validity to your argument at the same time, the way that movie's structured. I just don't think I was ever going to like it. But so that would translate probably to like a C and a C minus. I'm not, not willing to throw any of this in the D or certainly not the F range, but that's just kind of where it is. I went back through them. My highest ranking for the entire franchise was two and a half stars for the first one. I think I would be fine giving the first Twilight a B or a B minus. Uh, B minus. But. 
the rest of them are firmly ensconced in that C range with the, the C to C minus, I should say with fucking, uh, new moon got a 70%. So it's like about to fall into the D category. <laughs> Julio, I guess before we get out of here, w- which one was your favorite? Um, Oh man, I don't know. I, 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 so I'm going to split it in two. I think that my favorite was the last one. Uh, I just, maybe knowing that it was all coming to an end (laughs) helps, (laughs) but also I really like that, that climatic battle. And, uh, I did enjoy the, the, uh, the whole idea of like, let's, let's get the team together and let's pick up vampires played by fairly well-known actors and, you know, just, just have fun. And. I, but I think that you're right. The first Twilight is the better movie out of all of them. And that movie still has massive problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the Twilight saga. Thank you to all of you who uh, stuck with it. If Even if Twilight is not your thing, uh, you're welcome to all of you who <laughs> listened because Twilight is your thing. This is probably much like the movies. This is probably exactly what you were uh looking for just mm-hmm. us struggling to uh to articulate our feelings uh but that's it it's over we can put it behind us zoe I- i'm curious to hear your feedback i'm curious to hear what you feel about the franchise as a whole like alex said like oh, is yeah. it something like that you hold in high regard or is this something that you watch to make fun of what is this let us know you have a direct line to our ears, Zoe. Just just holler. All right, Julio. The Twilight franchise is officially a wrap. What is on deck next for not only us, but for the Contrarians listeners? Coming up next, uh, we celebrate... God, I have to do the math, but however many years of podcasting. <laughs> it's our anniversary ceremony. If you've been around for a while, you know what this means. We're going to give awards to the good and the bad of the past 12 months of Contrarian's goodness. Um, also, if uh, if you want to hear me talk about the Clint Eastwood, uh, I would say masterpiece, uh, Mystic River, you can uh, check out the guest spot I did on uh, We Watch a Thing. I talked to Billy. Billy had never seen it. I hadn't seen it since it was in theaters. And uh, watched it, talked to him. It was a fun conversation. You should check it out. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's it, Alex. All right. Well, we're going to get on out of here, moving into perennial plugs. Uh, we start off by giving a thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. And adding into our perennial plugs, starting with this episode, we'd like to give a shout out to the Late Night Grin, a professional wrestling show, uh, podcast channel. It's a, it's a brand. It's a lifestyle. They have a YouTube page, a Twitch page, a Twitter page. They got merchandise. They have a patron. Uh, start off by just heading over to either uh, YouTube or Twitter uh, at Late Night Grin on Twitter, and you can find them on YouTube, the Late Night Grin. Uh, my boy Joe, Oracle, Bobby, Matt, uh, friends of mine, I regularly appear on their show about twice a month. Uh, they're very kind to us here on The Contrarians, uh, helping spread the word of our podcast. So we're going to make a point of just working a plug-in for them in each and every episode. Julio, back to you. 
someone that's already included uh, every time that we do these closing credits is our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rodizer, the man who did our logo, did all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. Everywhere you see that little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, that's that's Hans's work. Uh, he has a webpage where you can check his uh, all his stuff at mildemonios.pe that's m-i-l-d-e-m-o-n-i-o-s dot p-e uh, you can contact him on twitter at mildemonios you can email him mildemonios at hotmail.com just tell him how much you enjoy his art or how much you enjoy his podcast uh, Nación Combi which is about Peruvian current affairs and Marginal which is about economy also check out his novels he wrote a whole bunch of zombie novels fantasy novels uh, the most recent one is Requiem for Tarma which is the fourth installment of a popular zombie series that he writes uh, Hans thank you for all your support and thank you to the support effort and contributions of the reason for the season Zoe Perez and who kicked us off on this entire journey it was quite the hoot uh, Zoe helps out with our social media game uh, if you don't already be sure to hop on Instagram and follow us at Contrarian Prime facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime and we're on YouTube also uh, the Contrarians you can find us for videos previewing upcoming episodes on there as well. Zoe, we appreciate all the work you do for us oh so dearly. Continue to do so. And hell, who knows? We might circle back to one of your favorite film franchises again. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, listeners, for coming along on this journey with us. But that is going to do it for the Twilight franchise. And that is going to do it for us here on this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. And we will catch you next time. Bye.